Captain's Dog, Episode 3 June 12, 1804 The past few evenings we have been serenaded by nightingales. Their song reminds me of my father. They were singing that morning so many years ago when my father came home on leave from the army and paid his final visit to us. I remember feeling so intimidated and shy I could barely utter a word in his presence. He was more than a man. It was almost as if some god had entered our home. The two days he stayed with us were wonderful, and then he was off to his command. None of us could have imagined that on his way there he and his horse would be swept away crossing the Ravana River, that his horse would drown, and that father would return to us in a terrible condition, drenched from the river and a downpour of cold rain. I remember mother stripping off his clothes, putting him into bed, and making him drink hot herbal tea. Despite her efforts, he contracted pneumonia, and I watched him shiver and sweat for two days. When he passed from us, I learned that gods can die, too. We have taken on a man by the name of Pierre Dorion, a trader who has lived among the Yankton Sioux for many years. We were lucky to run across him. If you ask me, Dorian was lucky to run across us, Coulter says. Probably the luckiest day of his life. How else would an old reparate like him get to meet the President of the United States? The men were always talking about luck. It came in two versions, good and bad. After a time, I got a sense of what they meant by this word and began to recognize it myself. And the day Dorian arrived was a day of very good luck for me. I was on the trail of a buck, which took me up a, tree, a tree-covered hillside. When I reached the small clearing on top, I stopped my pursuit, realizing the buck was traveling too fast for me to catch up with him. I had just lain down in the cool grass to catch my breath when I heard Private Cruzat call out from the river, "'Boats ahead!' Cruzat was, one of our, was our one-eyed fiddle-playing boatman. He and Private Labiche were experienced rivermen who had traveled the Missouri before, and were therefore assigned to permanent duty on the keelboat. One of them manned the stern paddle, while the other hung over the bow, pushing logs out of the way with an iron-tipped pole and calling out what lay ahead. A day or two before, we had encountered two boats with French trappers in them making their way down the Missouri to sell their furs. They had run out of powder and food. The captains gave them some of ours. But these pirogues that Crisat was hollering about had a different smell to them. The wind blew a scent up to me that made me drool. My paws moved beneath me like they had sprouted wings, and I flew down the hill a hundred times faster than I had come up it. I burst through the trees, jumped a short bank, and landed on shore still running. The keelboat bo- and pirogues were already tied up, and the men were billing, milling about, taking advantage of this unscheduled stop to lick their wounds. I ran directly for the source of that beautiful smell, which was coming from one of the newly arrived canoes. Standing next to it was an old man, and I guess I gave him quite a start, because when he saw me he reached for his rifle. Fortunately, before he could get a bead on me, Driard stopped him and explained that I was Captain Lewis's dog. Pierre Dorion nearly laughed his grey-bearded face off at the revelation, then made a big fuss over me, having never seen a canine my size. He said he'd thought I was an angry black bear— When he finished scratching me all over, he reached into a bucket and gave me a handful of buffalo grease. It tasted even better than it smelled, and I thought happily of the meals to come when we reached the buffalo's feeding grounds. 
Dorian and his cap and the captain spent several hours talking about what lay ahead, with Driard translating their words. It turned out that Dorian had lived with the Yankton Sioux for nearly twenty years and had a Yankton Sioux wife and a son by her. Captain Lewis was delighted to hear this and asked if Dorian would accompany us upriver to help us talk to the Sioux. Part of our mission, Captain Lewis explained, is to make friendly contact with all the tribes we meet along the way. We want to set up trading posts, which cannot succeed unless there is an atmosphere of peace. To this end, we would like to send some of the Sioux chiefs to Washington to meet with President Jefferson. Dorian thought he could arrange this, but he warned the captains that the Yanktons were just one branch of the Sioux nation, and that farther up the Missouri we were going to run into their cousins, the Teton Sioux. And they, gentlemen, are a very different breed from the Yanktons, Dorian explained. They are brigands, and will try to stop you from going upriver, or at the very least charge you a heavy toll to pass safely. We don't want to make trouble, Captain Lewis said, but we are prepared to stop trouble if need be. The captains took Dorian to the keelboat and gave him a demonstration of what they meant by this. Normally I didn't like these loud displays. The ruckus hurt my ears and made me jump. But I stuck next to Dorian all through it, hoping he might give me another handful of that delicious buffalo grease. The keelboat had a thing on it called a swivel gun, which was a small cannon set on a stand that could be swung around in any direction. It could be loaded with a single lead ball weighing about a pound, or with several handfuls of musket balls. To fire the cannon off, they lit a small candle called a taper, touched the flame to the charge, and BOOM! Branches flew off trees, and every animal within five miles stopped what it was doing. The boat also had two guns on board called blunderbusses, which swung around and spit out noise and destruction of a smaller nature. The captains fired each of these guns in turn for Dorion, and when they finished, Captain Lewis brought out his pride and joy, a rifle called an air gun that whispered when it was fired. Air was pumped inside the rifle, and when he pulled the trigger, the ball came out with hardly a sound. The captain loved this marvelous gun. "'Those will certainly make an impression on them,' Dorian admitted, after the white smoke cleared. "'But your guns will have little effect on two hundred Teton warriors shooting arrows if they decide to take your goods away from you. They can notch their arrows much faster than you can charge your rifles. Do not underestimate any of the Indians you meet. Their ways are different from ours.' but they are smart, and they'll know that your guns and supplies would make them the most powerful tribe on the continent. The captains exchanged worried glances, but I didn't hear what they had to say about Dorian's warning, because about that time Cruzat broke out his fiddle and started making the squeaky noises that I liked less than the sound of the swivel gun. Though it meant parting from Dorian and his buffalo grease, I went for a ramble until the music stopped, which wasn't until late that night.' <laughs>